welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. Okay, being together, we are together and we're starting a new series called Hearts United. Hearts United. And this series will carry us through to Advent, um, which starts the last Sunday in November. And we're going to be focusing on specifically the book of Acts together. The book of Acts together, which was written after Jesus ascends to heaven and the apostles begin then to spread the good news of the kingdom of God to Jerusalem, uh, Judea, Samaria, and beyond to the ends of the earth. So really what we're looking at is the formation of the early church and how that affects us. And we're encouraged in these times by Jesus for what God is doing in Vineyard Cleveland. There's wonderful things afoot here among us at our church. And we uh, want to unify our hearts and our heads around purpose and vision. Purpose and vision. Well, what is the vision? What's the vision? The vision is to bring life to the city, to be a people who carry the presence of God everywhere that we go, bringing life to the city. What does that mean? It means that you carry the presence of Jesus. If you claim Jesus as Messiah, that you carry the presence of God with you wherever you go. And it's not like a prime the pump sort of thing. You don't have to try really hard to release the presence of God. You release the presence of God simply by being who you are and having the hope of glory, Jesus living inside of you. And it also means partnering with local organizations who are already doing amazing things, specifically in the refugee, the influx of refugees that are coming to Cleveland to call Cleveland home, and the heroin epidemic across Northeast Ohio to bring alleviation of suffering to families and to individuals, and working with organizations who are already doing stuff and saying, hey, we want to help you bring life to the city. We carry Jesus' presence, and so we do not act as a... um, as a breaking wall against culture, but we are the heaven's culture uh, bulldozing in the most gentle sort of way, culture that is dying and lost and hurt. And so we are coming into culture and saying we have remedy, uh, whether it be in healing, salvation, whatever it is, deliverance, freedom, hope. That's who we are, Vineyard Cleveland. We're bringing life to the city. And we want to uh, emerge from this series, Hearts United, with a stronger uh, sense of hunger for the living presence of Jesus, that we be uh, compelled to see our lives continue to be transformed and the lives of those around us be transformed. That's a huge part of bringing life to the city is the transformative power of Jesus. Jesus isn't just an accessory to our lives. He's everything. We lay our lives down for him, and we get to see lives transformed because of that. But we look around and we see that we live in such a fragmented place, don't we? We live in a society that is separated, that is segregated, that is splintered. We look around and we see the hurricanes in 
in Florida and in Houston. We, we hear threats of uh, nuclear tests from North Korea. We hear of 270,000 refugees being forced to leave Myanmar. Uh, we hear of 143 million people's data has been security breached on Equifax. We, we see that the heroin uh, uh, per, the percentage of heroin o, ODs uh, since 2002 has increased by 533%. We live in a fragmented world. We live in a segregated and separated world. We hear of folks from our society scream unity and, and tolerance, but then fail in their efforts to create it. There's a desire set within all of us to experience hearts united, people united. We see that we live in tension in our world. We live in tension. Politics have never been so divided. Leaders either seek to create unity through tolerance or through domination. And both of those means fail to bring us unity. How does this happen, hearts united? How is this sense of unity achieved then? And what happens when we experience this sense of unity? Well, today we're going to dig into the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, and we do encourage Bible reading at Vineyard Cleveland, if you would like a Bible, we've got one on either side of the stage for you. It's free, our gift to you to keep it. We've got large print Bibles on order for you because the text in those Bibles is super tiny. What is this, a Bible for ants? So those are on the way, but we're going to be in Acts 2, if you wanted to turn there with me. And this talk is going to be a two-parter this morning. I've called my talk Life Together 1, and then next week we'll journey Life Together 2, and we'll move on. A lot of this stuff I'm drawing from um, a guy named Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Diedrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Nazi Germany who did not uh, collaborate with Hitler and Nazis, and it cost him his life. At the end of his life, he um, stood firm in the truth of Jesus. He felt like what he was seeing was wrong. And so Diedrich Bonhoeffer wrote this wonderful book called Life Together. Life Together. And it's his take on community and what community is and what community means. And so some of these thoughts are going to be drawn from him. But let's read um, Acts 2, verses 1 through 4. Here we go. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them, all of them, somebody say all of them, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Good news for us today. So the context of this passage is really exciting, but a little bit terrifying as well. 
It's exciting because this is the formation of the first Christian community. This is the inauguration of the church. The church is being formed and shaped. And so these are exciting times. But it's a bit terrifying as well when you start to see what seems to be tongues of fire separating on people and landing on people's uh, noggins that it starts to be like, well, we've never experienced anything like this before. Sometimes change is a little bit difficult. What's going on here? We'll get into that in a little bit. This is new territory. They've never experienced anything like this before. In chapter 1 of Acts, we're told that Jesus uh, commands his disciples, commands them to stay put in Jerusalem, to wait, wait for the gift that the Father has promised. After he ascends to heaven, wait for the gift. I don't know about you, but I hate waiting. I hate waiting. Waiting's the worst. In our fast-forward microwave society, no one likes to wait. Whether you're waiting in the checkout line at the grocery or you're waiting to um, get your hair done, not me, of course, get your hair done at the salon or you're waiting for your meal to come at the restaurant or you're waiting to get your oil changed, you know, at the, at the body shop where they've got the Sports Illustrated magazines from 1987 still laying on the table. We hate waiting. I don't like waiting. It's the worst. And Jesus is saying, wait together. Wait together. What a joy to wait together. But we hate to wait. Patience, people will say patience is a lost art or a lost value. But I don't think that this is a correct statement. Patience is not a lost art because there's never been a people or person who in all honesty can say, you know what? I love to wait. I love waiting. It's it's. My favorite thing, to sit here in this dentist's office, waiting for my root canal, this is the best. Or like a mama who's nine months pregnant, who just wants the baby to come, that last, that month eight to month nine, you will never hear a mom saying, I love this right now, this is amazing. (laughs) They're saying, get this thing out of me. We hate to wait. We hate to wait. But Jesus commands them to wait, to stay put. So it's important that they wait, and they wait together. Waiting together is amazing. Can you picture the scene? As they're waiting together, Peter and Paul are there. They're creating space. When we wait together, we create space to affirm in the other person That what you're waiting for is worth it. And that's why waiting together is so amazing. Can you see them talk? Hold, hold, Hold tight. Hold steady. Don't give up. The gift is coming. In the same way that Mary meets Elizabeth before Jesus is born. And when um, Elizabeth, and they're both pregnant, do you remember? And they come into contact with one another. And the baby in her womb leaps for joy because Jesus is in the other belly. 
There's an affirmation happening, creating space. It's going to be worth it. Jesus is going to be worth it. So when we wait together, we're filled together as well. When we wait together, we're filled together. This is a beautiful expression of what it means to form community, to be together. They're gathered around a promise. The disciples, before they go to the room at Pentecost, are gathered around a promise. Mary and Elizabeth are gathered around a promise. In the same way, this morning, we are gathered around a promise. We're gathered around a promise, Vineyard Cleveland. We're not just here in one service. We're gathered around the promise that one day there will be no more hurricanes. One day there will be no more nuclear war. One day the kingdom will come to earth. We're, we're, we're here gathered around the burning question. There's got to, is there more than this? Our hearts are burning together asking that question. Is there more than this? There's got to be more than this. This morning we're gathered around a promise. And that's why it's such a beautiful thing to wait together. And in that, the church, is, the church of Jesus is like a symphony. The church of Jesus is like a symphony. Acts 2.2 says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. One of my favorite authors from one of my favorite books, A.W. Tozer, in The Pursuit of God, writes this. He says, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos, all tuned to the same fork, are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord, together in one place, being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. Isn't that amazing? To bring this down, Bonhoeffer says in Life Together, human love is directed to the other person for his own sake. Spiritual love loves him for Christ's sake. Therefore, human love seeks direct contact with the other person. It loves him not as a free person, but as one whom it binds to itself. It wants to gain, to capture by every means. It uses force. It desires to be irresistible, to rule. But the picture of Christian community is that of Christ standing in between any relationship that you have. So Christ dictates to maintain fellowship or to sever fellowship. Christ stands between you and the one who Christ loves as well. Together in one place. This is what it means to be together in one place. What does it mean? The Greek word is homo Homo, here we go, testing my Greek. Homo thumaden, or one accord. Homo thumaden, same mind, heart, same mind, same heart. What does that mean? It means that in Acts 2, the disciples were doing more than taking up the same geographical space. They weren't just in the same physical space. 
It means that there's more happening here. Other definitions include the words rush along or in unison. The image is almost musical. A number of notes are sounded in which while they're different notes, they harmonize in pitch and in tone as the instruments of a great concert under the direction of a maestro, so the Holy Spirit blends together the lives of followers of Jesus. Unity of purpose and hunger characterize the kingdom of God. Over and over again in Acts, we see this uh, word used, homothumadon, homothumadon, over and over again. It's such a mark of the beginning of the church, not just occupying the same geographical space. Acts 1.14, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Acts 2.1 was fully come. They were all with one accord in one place. Acts 2.46, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple. Acts 4.24, their voice to God with one accord. On and on and on, this use of the word. They're not just taking up space together. We're not just gathered in the same room as one church family, but we're together in vision. We're together in purpose. That's where the good stuff happens, and it's centered on the person of Jesus. What does it mean for us to be of one heart and one mind, to be in one accord? What does it mean? Does it mean that we all have to agree on what otherwise would be theologically gray areas? No. Does being in one accord mean that we in this church need to all vote the same way? No, it does not. Does it mean that we parent our kids the same way? No. Does it mean that we all have to be Cleveland Indian fans and cheer them on to the World Series? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And that the Browns would win today. Amen. No, it, it doesn't mean that we all think and tick and, or even root for the same sports teams in the same way. But what I think it means is that our passions, our passions are aligning with the one who is living in us together. That his rule and his reign are established in every heart, in every mind, so much so that our actions prove the symphony. Being together in one place means living lives that are blended together in purpose. Being in one accord means that we are each playing our part, that we are each finding our voice within the collective. It means that we begin to prefer what, what, we prefer another over ourselves. In a musical context, to continue the analogy that our lives are blended so much so together that we actually, we, we actually long for the other person to play their part in instrument more than we long to hear ourselves play. Because only they can do the thing that they do. Only they can play it like they can play it. Isn't that the way it is for any of you musicians out there? I want to hear you play it, but it also means that when we are not there, that we realize that we carry something that they miss out on. So when we're not there, when we're not there in one accord, that they're missing out on, on what we can bring. That's what one accord means. 
together in one room means that we're living lives together that say and demonstrate that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord of our marriages. Jesus is Lord over our kids. Jesus is Lord over our church. And Jesus is Lord over Cleveland. And the Holy Spirit completes the room. He completes the room. In Acts 2.2 we read, Suddenly, underline that word, Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now, notice how Luke draws our attention to the manner in which the Holy Spirit comes. Suddenly, they're gathered, hearts united, and the Holy Spirit comes suddenly. The Holy Spirit surprises us. The Holy Spirit doesn't freak us out. There's a difference between freaking us out and surprising us. Freaking us out, scary guy in a clown mask behind the door. Surprising us, surprising us the Christmas present we've always wanted on Christmas morning. Yes, the difference we see the two. The Holy Spirit surprises us. Jesus, he's always like this, isn't he? He's always bypassing our expectations of what we think about him. He's always, he's always doing this. We want him to speak and he stays silent. We want him to be quiet and he speaks up. We want him to wait and he shows up in inconvenient times for us. We want him to show up and break through and he says, wait. Religion's the opposite. Religion's predictable. And when it shows up, it always lets us down. Religion shows up too quickly or never at all. Rather, leaving us feeling empty, the Holy, the Holy Spirit shows up suddenly. Suddenly. The coming of the Holy Spirit happens suddenly in community. There's this little picture of rushing wind that Luke talks about. That's also built into the definition of being in one accord. Remember to rush along. The Holy Spirit shows up suddenly and he completes the room. This is always the way it is with Jesus. I've heard hundreds of stories testifying to the sudden nature of God's inbreaking. We say, I thought it was all over, and then God. I was out of options, but then God came. I'd given up hope in my marriage, but then God showed up. I lost my grip on life, but then God. I thought I was a failure. I was going to take my own life. But God intervened. This is the nature of the Holy Spirit. We think life is over. We think we're going one way. And Jesus rushes in. He's not asleep today. He's not deaf to your situation. He's not blind to your situation he sees you and he loves you right where you are and he's working on your behalf until when you least expect it, Jesus rushes in to rescue you. That's who Jesus is. He comes suddenly. The Holy Spirit comes suddenly and we don't happen to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit happens to us. Outside of our trying, 
to feel something, to prime the pump. When we're together in one accord, we begin to live lives that say and demonstrate that Jesus is Lord. The Holy Spirit rushes in on us suddenly with loud sounds, we read, to awaken something in us. He happens to us, outside of us. And what happens when he comes suddenly? Verse 2 again, Luke says, The Holy Spirit filled the whole house. In other translations, we read that he completed the room. The Holy Spirit completed the room. This is super duper important. Filling the entire room. When the Holy Spirit comes, he completes. Richard Rohr says that grace in the Holy Spirit is the goodness glue that holds together the cracks. He fills in the gaps in our lives together. He comes just at the right time, suddenly, to fill the empty space, to fill the vacant space. Does this mean that the Holy Spirit is like some floating mist from the Lord of the Rings coming into a room to fill all of the cracks in the ceiling and to go to the walls and fill the walls. No, the Holy Spirit comes and fills people. The Holy Spirit comes and fills our bodies. The Holy Spirit comes and fills our hearts and fills our mind. He's not just filling the space. He's filling people. The Holy Spirit fills people. He envisions people. He empowers people. Our hearts become united as we invite him. We say, come Holy Spirit. As the church has prayed for 2,000 years, come Holy Spirit. We say yes to the Holy Spirit. We follow the Holy Spirit. On that Pentecost day, the fire from heaven descends not on a building, but on people. And all people, not just the Jews, but all people, God's heart for all people, which means that in this instance, most theologians would agree that there are around 120, hmm, isn't that interesting? There are around 120 people in the house. It's not just the disciples, but there are 120 gathered. Huh. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he fills every single one of them. Not just big A apostles, but everyone. From the old to the young, from the weak and sick to the strong and healthy. The Holy Spirit fills completely. He completes the room. Everyone gets in on this. What an inclusive God we see here. Different from the American God that we fashioned in our minds, is it not? Everyone gets in. No one misses out on the Holy Spirit because they were all together. They were all together. No one feels excluded in that room that evening. 
No one feels spiritually inferior because one apostle of Jesus gets more of the Holy Spirit than they do. No one feels, no apostle of Jesus feels spiritually superior because they've got more of the Holy Spirit than someone who didn't know Jesus personally. Everyone gets in on it. I hear you, buddy. The good news is that we're all together in this this morning. In one heart, in one mind, and there are more than two or three that are gathered in Jesus' name. We're perfectly ready to be ambushed by the Holy Spirit of God. No spaces, no gaps, no one excluded. From the mighty to the weak, the sick to the healthy, the Holy Spirit's ready to rush in on us more than we are ready to receive him. And we all get to be in on this. He comes when and how he wants He's outside of our control. He's not to be controlled like the force from Star Wars. You know, like you get in some charismatic, uh, we love our charismatic Pentecostal brothers and sisters, yes? And somebody's really, somebody's really feeling it and they're priming the pump and they're going off and the rest of the room is like, I don't know if you're like, dang, that guy must have been around some Yoda spiritual Jedi master because look at him go. I've never, man, they're on their face weeping for God. They've been there for three hours. (laughs) What? They're, man. If Darth Vader showed up, the Holy Spirit, the force is strong with that one. Look at him. The problem with that, that's great for them. But when we're all together, when we're all together and we experience God, we experience the Holy Spirit together in one accord. It breaks down the spiritual merit badges that people like to pin on the experience of the Holy Spirit. You're in on this. Yeah. You're not, you're not the spiritually elite, you know, who cry for 48 hours of nonstop prayer for your city. I don't, you know, that's great for you. What is the purpose of God? What do we mean when we say that he fills us for his purposes? Well, we'll dig into this a little bit deeper next Sunday in part two. But for today, it means that he's not just there or here to give us an experience, but to build up the church and to reach the nations. He's not just here to give you the warm fuzzies. That'll happen. You'll be filled up because God is good. God is goodness. He's the goodness glue. But he's not just here for you to have a little experience. You get to feel something outside of yourself and then walk away and your life is no different from when you came in. The Holy Spirit's transformative and his power is for purpose. His power is for purpose and his purpose is to build up the church and to reach people, to reach the nations. 
In Ephesians, Paul says that we're the poem of God, the poema of God. When the Holy Spirit comes, God begins to write and inscribe his story in us, on us, and through us in a way that transforms us, but also transforms the world that we're in. And the world into where we're headed, or rather, the world that's headed towards us. This is what we say at, at Vineyard Cleveland. Jesus, Jesus didn't just die on a Roman cross, beaten brutally to get you into heaven after you die. Why did Jesus die? Let's see how well you were listening. How, how good of a communicator am I? Why did Jesus die? He didn't die to take us away to heaven after we die. He died to... Bring heaven, to put heaven inside of us. The kingdom is coming to us. We're not going to it. Jesus said the kingdom of God is nearer than you could ever imagine. Heaven is coming to us. Heaven's culture is coming here. All things, N.T. Wright says, are bottlenecking to Jesus. Everything is moving towards this one thing. That means that you are filled with the Holy Spirit, not simply to get more stuff before you die because you're highly favored and prosperous. You're highly favored because you carry the presence of Jesus to release in order to reach the nations. Wherever you go, it means that you're filled with the Holy Spirit, not simply to eat, drink, and make merry, as we said last week, but you're filled with the Holy Spirit to usher in true and lasting joy wherever you go, so that our world looks more like where Jesus is. And where Jesus is, he says, my joy will be in you, and your joy will be complete. You're filled, complete, completing the room. You're filled with the Holy Spirit so that you experience the ever-expanding kingdom of God among your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends, your family. So where are we headed? Or what's headed to us? What is headed to us? Isaiah writes in chapter 9, For us, a child is born. Jesus is that child. To us, a son is given. Jesus is the son. And the government, which government? All authority, all presidents, all authority, all governments will be on his shoulders. And he will be called the Wonderful Counselor, Holy Spirit, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Father, and the Prince of Peace. There's Jesus again. And look at verse 7 in Isaiah 9. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of his peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. That's where we're headed. Hearts united. Would you like to hear more? Here's where we're headed. Here's what's headed towards us. Revelation eleven fifteen. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet. And there were loud voices, a loud sound again. Remember in Acts 2? In heaven which said, the kingdom, here it is, the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah and he will reign forever. How long? Forever and ever and ever. Can you hear Handel's Messiah going off in your head? Hallelujah. And he will reign forever. 
forever and ever. The kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and Messiah. That's good news. That's where we're headed. That's what's headed towards us. And in Habakkuk, in Habakkuk 2, the whole of the earth completing the room again. The glory of the Lord covered the earth like the waters cover the sea. Are the waters covering our world right now? Yes, Jesus is coming like a hurricane and he's coming into our world. He broke through. That's where we're headed and that's what's headed to us. The power of God is for a purpose and the purpose is to usher in the kingdom of God. The rule and reign. That's what we say when we mean the kingdom of God. We, we mean the rule everywhere Jesus touches in the reign of Jesus. Partnering with the Holy Spirit. We don't serve his needs. We partner with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is our brother. We partner with the Holy Spirit to bring life wherever we go. Ushering in healing for the sick. Raising the dead and cleansing the lepers. A hard assignment, but Jesus gave you authority. So now we understand that being filled is being sent, and we're, we'll end here this morning. Being filled is being sent. Being filled is being sent, and this works both ways. We are filled as we are sent, but sometimes we don't feel full. Jonathan quoted Mother Teresa this morning in communion. Do you know for years, Mother Teresa didn't hear from one word, one peep from heaven. She wrote a friend, and she said this, For a long while, but for me the silence and the emptiness is so great that I look and I do not see. I listen and do not hear. The tongue moves in prayer but does not speak. I want you to pray for me that I will let him have a free hand. The saint of the gutters. The saint of the gutters, Mother Teresa is what they called her. Didn't hear one peep from heaven for a long time. She didn't feel full. But did that stop her from going out every day and caring for the least, the last, the lost, and the dying? No, she went anyway. She went anyway. She said yes anyway. Sometimes we don't feel full, but that doesn't mean that we aren't sent. Initially, when we're filled, though, it's synonymous with being sent. Every church is missional in its definition, or it's not a church of Jesus. Let me say that one again. Did you miss that one? Every church is missional in its definition or it is not a church of Jesus Christ. There's a filling of God, there's a filling of his love that affirms that there is a mission for you. There's a place for you. There's a part for you to play. There's an instrument that only you can play. You're filled and you are sent. In Acts 1.8, here's the, here's the application. But you will receive power, filling when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Filling is being sent. And in verse 3, you thought I forgot. Let's not forget about those fiery cloven tongues. What is going on there? 
what is happening with the fiery tongues? We're going to find out more about that in the coming weeks. But for now, let's just look at how God's heart for the nations is expressed through the believers of Jesus in this house, receiving languages that they were previously unfamiliar with and being able to speak beyond fluency. And so much so that 3,000 people come to believe in Jesus and follow Jesus and are baptized that day. That's amazing. The Father loves people so much that he gives the gift of different languages, reversing the Tower of Babel and allowing so many folks to understand where these disciples were coming from, so much so that they believed in Jesus. And that when the Holy Spirit fills you, he will send you to do impossible things. That's what's happening here. These guys didn't know these languages before they went up into the room. The fiery cloven tongue. I believe this is literal. That they saw fire and tongues settling on folks' heads. It's a, and then they, they emerged from the room speaking languages that they had no knowledge of before. That's an impossible thing. Unless you guys are waking up with fiery tongues on your head and speaking, that's never happened to me. I pray for it, though, because it's an impossible thing. That's an impossible thing. And when the Holy Spirit fills you, he will send you to do impossible things. Just as in verse 3, this simply seems impossible to us. But he longs for you to experience unprecedented happenings so that you'll usher in impossible things to the society around you. All tongues, all, all tongues and signs and wonders stuff aside, can we, just, can we just recognize and acknowledge here the principle of unprecedented happenings for impossible assignments? Unprecedented happenings for impossible assignments. The Holy Spirit is the one who empowers, who sends, so that others might find Jesus, not just us. 